Welcome everyone to another episode of Focus on the Light. As we talk about, come follow me. Thanks for everybody who listened to the first episode. I'm really excited to talk about this next section of scripture. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, Moses chapter 2 and 3, and Abraham chapter 4 and 5. So Moses and Abraham both had similar visions as we talked about last week. Their vision continues with the creation of the world and our placement upon it. We have two accounts of Moses's vision in Genesis and in the translated version in the book of Moses, then the account of Abraham in the book of Abraham. They're all very similar, but of course with unique differences. And because it would take a lot of time and be kind of repetitive, instead of going verse by verse through each chapter, I'm just going to focus on doctrines or principles or truths taught between the three accounts and how the three of them combined together help us to solidify our understanding of them. I find it really interesting to start with Moses chapter 2 verse 1. And it starts by saying, And it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Behold, I reveal unto you concerning this heaven and this earth. Write the words which I speak. And I find it really interesting that the Lord is, of course, giving Moses a vision, but is kind of adamant that he writes it down. Why are these truths so important that they are being given to both Moses and Abraham, and that they are the necessity of them being written down? And clearly, through the act of that prophet, Abraham or Moses, to write them, and the act of many other prophets in the preservation of the Bible, and also through the prophet Joseph Smith with the book of Moses and the book of Abraham, this account and these teachings are very important to us. To know our creation and the creation of the world, to not have to question about that is wonderful. I think that as members of the church, we take that for granted because we've known it for so long. So it's a good thing to take the time to appreciate, to learn a little bit more about, and also to express our gratitude to Heavenly Father for the knowledge of it, and also just the gift that his creations are to us. So it really starts there, that God, through the Savior Jesus Christ, created the earth with all its beauty and all the way it can provide for our physical needs for us. It's our home for our mortal life and will be for eternity, and it's our testing ground. And as God creates this, there are some specific verses that I really love. So the first one, in Abraham chapter 4, verses 29 and 30, And the God said, Behold, we will give them every herb-bearing seed that shall come upon the face of all the earth, and every tree which shall have fruit upon it. Yea, the fruit of the tree yielding seed to them, we will give it, and it shall be for their meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, behold, we will give it, we will give them life. And also we will give to them every green herb for meat, and all these things shall thus be organized. The Lord clearly did these things for us. And in Abraham chapter 5 verse 9 and in Genesis chapter 2 verse 9, it says something very similar. And out of the ground made gods to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And then talks about some other things, but I love that, that The Lord in his creation made everything grow that is both beautiful to our eyes and also necessary for our physical needs in our food. Everything on the earth is for us. God, in his infinite power, took a lot of time in doing this. It was a step-by-step process, creating light, creating the earth and the waters, grass and plants and trees, animals and beasts, all of it to make such a beautiful place for us to come to, to care for and to be tested upon. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift that we should 
do our part in taking care of. But as wonderful as that is, what can we learn now, right? It's great to know about the creation. I don't want to take from that in any way, but it is also over and done with. We're here. It's already been created. We're already enjoying it. And those are important things to remember. But how do these truths and the understanding of them apply to us right now? What can we learn about our lives now? And I love some of the truths that we can find in the scriptures about this. The first is through the book of Abraham, particularly in chapter four, as it is being, the vision is being given about how all this was made. The word organized is used eight times in that one chapter. The world was without form. It had to be formed and organized, separated and divided. It took a lot of time and planning. And each time they went down and they formed a little bit more, little by little, each element being needed before the next. And I love that the way the Come Follow Me manual put this, it says, one thing the creation story teaches us is that God can make something magnificent out of something unorganized. That's helpful to remember when life seems chaotic. Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are creators, and their creative work with us is not finished. They can make light shine in the dark moments in our lives. They can form solid ground in the midst of life's stormy seas. They can command the elements, and if we obey their words like the elements did, they can transform us into the beautiful creations we were meant to be. That's part of what it means to be created in God's image, after his likeness. We have the potential to become like him, exalted, glorified, celestial beings. There's this uh, vase that my wife and I have in our home. We got it for ourselves for Christmas one year. Uh, we were in Desert Book. Uh, for those of you not in Utah, it's a store, um, kind of like a church store. They sell a lot of scriptures there. They sell books. They sell paintings, uh, you know, different things um, that are religious. And one of the things they had there was this vase. I forget the exact name of it. I'll put a link to it below so you can look at it. It's, it's beautiful. And I think it's called in the hands of the potter or clay in the hands of the potter, something like that. So it's a vase. And at the top of it, it's this beautiful white bluish color. that's very smooth and perfectly shaped and just absolutely beautiful. But as the vase continues further down, it gets less and less formed and more and more rugged and disorganized. It is a very powerful visual portrayal about how in his hands we are all a work in progress, that through his guidance, we are formed from this chaotic, disorganized nature into a very beautiful shape that he needs us to be. Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are the potters. They are, they are working us. And if we obey, they will organize us into something powerful. So that's the first truth we can learn. The second one is about our body, how that's created by God and how it's a temple for our spirit. So Moses chapter 2, verse 26 and 27, Abraham chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, all say the same thing, that we are created in God's image. So let's read Moses chapter 2, 26 and 27. And I, God, said unto mine only begotten, which was with me from the beginning, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And it was so. And I, God, said, let them have dominion over the fishes of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And I, God, created man in mine own image. In the image of mine only begotten created I him, male and female created I them. It's a very, very powerful thing that he created for us, our body, in his image, after his perfection. 
we were given this wonderful thing called the body that it's phenomenal the things that our body can do but also the gift it is eternally i think anybody as president nelson says who studies the body can understand the work of god in creating something so remarkable and all the things that it can do and i love the way moses chapter 2 puts it in specific verses verses 10 12 18 21 31 and then also chapter 3 verse 2 it says the same thing. So I'm going to read verse 31. And I, God, saw everything that I had made, and behold, all things which I had made were very good. That includes our body. Very good. There are a lot of voices and forces out there in the world telling us that our bodies should be a certain way, that they aren't very good, that they need to look a certain way. God created something wonderful when he made you. Your body is a gift and should be cherished. Of course, we should take care of it. It's quite remarkable the things it can do for us. A house is our spirit. It's a temple of our spirit and how we treat this temple is how the spirit is treated. But we also need to be grateful for it. Do not let the forces of the world tell you that your body is wrong. Be grateful for it and be respectful to it. But also remember that the flesh and bone that you're made of isn't the end-all be-all of what makes you up. In Abraham chapter 5, verse 7, and also in Moses chapter 2, it says that I forgot to write down the exact verse, so let's go to Moses or Abraham chapter 5, verse 7. And the gods formed man from the dust of the ground and took his spirit, that is the man's spirit, and put it into him and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Our soul is both our body and our spirit, and as wonderful as our physical body is, it's incomplete without the spirit within it. There is an intrinsic value you have that cannot be beat. The Doctrine and Covenants teaches us that the worth of the soul is great in the eyes of God, a soul being our physical and spiritual body together. The worth of something, in my eyes and my definition, is what someone is willing to pay for it. The worth of a house is the demand and what someone would be willing to pay for it. The worth of your car is what someone would be willing to pay for it. The worth of a piece of bread is the cost that someone would be willing to pay for it, and, and so on and so forth. That's how things are valued with more worth. Your worth is great in the eyes of God. And what was paid for your life? What creates that worth? What was paid? It was the perfect life of Jesus Christ that was paid for you, for our bodies physically to be resurrected and for our spirits to be able to gain eternal life, to overcome both physical and spiritual death. You are worth that sacrifice. The sacrifice of the only perfect being to walk the earth, the only begotten son of God. You and you alone are worth that. It's important to remember that the atonement and death of Jesus Christ was an individual debt paid for each of us. Yes, it was paid for everybody. But the payment was made for each soul, one by one, as the Savior always works. You are worth it. Okay. Let's move on and talk about some other things here quickly. Two doctrines we see uh, discussed frequently. Marriage 
is between a man and a woman. Moses chapter 3, 24 and 25. Abraham chapter 5, verse 18. Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Adam and Eve, male and female, were created to be together, and joined together through the powers of God, and sealed as a man and a woman in marriage. The other thing in association with this is our gender and our identity as males and females. In Moses chapter 2 verse 27, or Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, And I, God, created man in my own image, in the image of mine only begotten, I created him male and female, created I them. These issues of gender and sexuality, I knew were going to come up eventually. I just didn't expect it to be this soon. These topics are unavoidable. I read somewhere that I've tried finding, I wish I could, that the youth will all have to confront this, these truths, and it's important to be prepared. These doctrines are under attack, but they are also not new. From the moment humans were on the earth, starting with Adam and Eve, these eternal truths were established, and they have been ever since. And to say that these doctrines are under attack has always felt really foreign for me. You know, for a while it was really easy to be like, yeah, there are those tribes of Satan's forces out there working against us. And it was kind of an us versus them mentality. But my understanding and experience of that completely changed last year when my youngest sibling came out to my family as a non-binary gender and bisexual. Immediately making this attack, as I had heard it called so many times, very personal, and very delicate. So since then, I've been trying to learn, especially from the Spirit, how to navigate this whole thing with love. And maybe those tribes of Satan forces are out there, but in my interactions, I haven't met them. Yes, these truths are under attack from Satan. And he gets all of us by making us doubt or adding confusion, like we learned last week. But the members of the LGBTQ plus community are individuals with experiences and choices and personalities unique as each one of them are. They aren't here to rip down our beliefs and attack us. Maybe some people do that, but I don't think that that's the intent of these individuals. They are people as imperfect as we are, trying their best to navigate the confusion of life, to figure out who they are and what that even means trying to sift through all the thoughts, feelings, emotions, teachings, and voices all jumbled up inside themselves to find solid ground and understand what makes them up. I can't speak for them, but they aren't evil. And we can do a lot better to handle this topic with compassion towards them. We are not here to define their experiences or their internal emotions. We are here to do that for ourselves and to overcome the natural man, and to align ourselves with the will of God, and to follow the Savior as best we can. And the Savior has made it very clear that as we follow him, we are to love everyone. The very famous scripture, love thy neighbor as thyself, I would hope that all of us would love ourselves with compassion. You and I are very lucky that our sexuality and gender identity is something we have never had to question or struggle with. It makes it very easy to be ourselves. Yes. All of us have to make sure that our sexuality and our choices are within the commandments of God. But this is a whole other story. It's a very personal journey 
And one that we should approach with love is these individuals trying to understand what they're feeling. But also, even better than this, is 3 Nephi chapter 18, verse 25. Okay, quickly to turn to that. 3 Nephi chapter 18, verse 25. This is the Savior, the resurrected Savior coming to the people of Nephi. This is what he says. And ye see that I have commanded that none of you should go away, but rather have commanded that ye should come unto me, that ye might feel and see, even so shall ye do unto the world. And whosoever breaketh this commandment suffereth himself to be led into temptation. The commandment is to come unto Christ and to send none away. The Savior would never turn anyone away. Now to speak quickly about this to two kind of categories of people. First, to those of us, including myself, who have loved ones who are traveling the very difficult path of self-discovery with personal gender identity and sexuality. Every situation is unique. Frequently and consistently seek guidance through the Holy Ghost as you seek to love this individual, be it a child, a sibling, a friend, whatever. But here are a few things that I've learned that have really helped me in the way that I love and interact with my youngest sibling and the way that I've been able to reconcile these things within myself. The first that was the first thing that really helped me is the understanding that two things can be true at once. These eternal truths of marriage and gender have been and always will be true. My confidence in that is unchanged, but that doesn't make the feelings and emotions of our queer loved ones any less true. We are on earth to be tested and tried. The very definition of our mortal experiences is to have very real forces within ourselves. Do not discredit their mortal experience trying to define it within our doctrine. So many of us have mortal experiences that go against our doctrine. Now something else. Remember the lyrics of a song I love. It's called The Missionary's Prayer. Keep the ones who I have loved in your watchful care. Pray those exact words if you need to. Heavenly Father watches us all, excluding absolutely no one, but praying for those specific individuals who we love so much to have a little extra care can work miracles. And also love these individuals. They need love, especially those who have grown up in the LDS faith. That's a difficult journey. I'm really grateful that that's not my testing here on earth to have truths that we've been taught and grown up with and probably held very dear to our heart and then very real feelings and emotions in contradiction to them. In my analysis of it, that would be really hard and very confusing to try and sift through all that. That's messy and often lonely. And no matter how they choose to act on those things, we should love them and always be there for them because they need it, no matter what they choose. But be careful in your love to not let it loosen your grip on the eternal truths that are so very important. I hope that my sibling, if they are listening to this, and also I just hope they know through my actions two things about me. Without a doubt, I hope they know these absolute two things about me. First, that my testimony and commitment to the gospel is unchanging and rock solid. But two, just as unchanging and rock solid is my love for them and my desire and interest to be involved in their life at every phase. One does not negate the other. And my actions will always follow those two things. Each circumstance is different. Each one is unique. Seek counsel from leaders, from trusted sources. Seek learning out of books. 
Tom Christofferson, for example, is a great place to start, especially his book, The We May Be One. That's been a great resource for me to rely on. But also talk to the individual. In my experience, your honest but kindly asked questions show nothing but love and a desire to understand. Again, each situation is unique. Follow the spirit. To move on to the second group of individuals I want to talk to, those of you who may identify with the LGBTQ plus community, or you're currently discovering that maybe you do, or you might. I love you. I absolutely love you. If you need someone, as archaic as it may sound, you can send me an email. It's linked below. And I want you and I need you to know you're not alone as you work to figure this out. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably trying to figure out how you can reconcile these experiences you're having with your spiritual identity and your understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing is sinful about what you feel. As with us all, the sin comes when we act, when we do something. Seek the strength of trusted loved ones, but ultimately through the Savior. He knows exactly what you're going through better than I can. He understands it exactly the loneliness, the confusion, and even the exact feelings. He knows them. But whatever you do, whatever you choose to act on, whatever direction in your life you choose, please keep praying. Heavenly Father is your Father, and He loves you perfectly. I know that He would love to hear from you, no matter what. Like a perfect loved one, they're interested in your life. Now something quickly for both groups, both individuals who have loved ones, and those individuals who identify with LGBTQ plus community. It's a quote from Elder Maxwell. I testify to you that God has known you individually for a long, long time. He has loved you for a long, long time. He not only knows the names of all the stars, he knows your name and all your heartaches and your joys. God knows. You are not surprising him. And because of how well he knows you, And now he knows us. He is able to help and teach and guide exactly the way we need. If you have a loved one working through this, know the Heavenly Father knows them better than you do. Rely on his knowledge on how to help them. If you are going through this yourself, know the Heavenly Father knows you and rely on his guidance. But remember, we must have the same conviction, confidence, and commitment to these eternal truths as we do to our commandment to love our neighbor. Both are absolutely necessary. All right. So now let's talk about the last two things. The first being the two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. How both of them were there, what it means, what they're there for, and the truths that we can discover from that. So in Moses chapter 3, verse 9 and verses 16 and 17, Abraham chapter 5, verse 13, Genesis chapter 2, verse 9 and 16 and 7, we learn a lot about these trees. So let's go as Moses chapter three, verse nine, jumping kind of halfway down through it. And I, the Lord God planted the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and also the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But, and then if we jump to verse 16 and 17, and I, the Lord commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Nevertheless, thou mayest choose for thyself for it is given unto thee. But remember that I forbid it for in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Let's kind of lay down the truths here. One, there's two trees. There's the tree of life or the tree of immortality, the tree of eternal life. And then the tree of knowledge and good and evil, the forbidden fruit. And the commandment that they had to not partake of that forbidden fruit. 
and that if they do, they will die. I was always confused to me why there were these two trees here. What's the big deal with these trees? Why are these trees so important? Why is one of them forbidden? What do they have to do with the stuff? There's a lot that we can learn here through these verses, but it's also another reason that I'm really grateful for the additional teachings found in the Book of Mormon. So if we go to 2 Nephi chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, Lehi, teaching his sons, teaches a lot about these, starting in verse 15. And to bring about his eternal purposes in the end of man, after he had created our first parents, and the beasts of the field, and the fowls of the air, and in fine, all things which are created, it must needs be that there was an opposition, even the forbidden fruit in opposition to the tree of life, the one being sweet, and the other being bitter. Wherefore the Lord God gave unto man that he should act for himself. Wherefore man could not act for himself, save it should be one that he was enticed by, the one or the other. The purpose of these two trees is to create opposition. We learn in Moses verses three, or Moses chapter three, verse 17, nevertheless thou mayest choose for thyself, for it is given unto thee choice or agency. The ability to choose is a gift from God, one of the greatest gifts he's ever given us, and a key essential part to our testing here on earth. In order to choose, there first had to be choices and a need to choose. Adam and Eve were in a state of innocence where everything was provided for them. They lived in the presence of God. They did not know good and evil. There was no evil and also there was no good. There was no need to choose because there was no opposition. So by creating the two trees, one sweet and the other bitter, it created the two choices. It created good and it created evil. It's necessary for us for God's eternal plans to have opposition, right? Going back to 2 Nephi, verse 15, and to bring about his eternal purposes, it must needs be that there was an opposition. Verse 16, wherefore the Lord God gave unto man that he should act for himself, wherefore no man could act for himself, save he was enticed by one or the other, right? So choice is absolutely necessary. The forbidden fruit in opposition to the tree of life was necessary to create the need to choose therefore giving that gift unto all of us. We haven't gone there yet, but we know the story. Adam and Eve partake of the fruit and they're kicked out of the garden, the fall of Adam. And when they are, they fall and they're, they're forced out of the garden of Eden. It's the scriptures say the cherubim and a flaming sword was placed around the tree of life to prevent them from partaking. Like the Lord said in the scriptures that we read, if they partook of the forbidden fruit, they would die. And they did. They died spiritually. On top of that, it caused them to no longer be immortal. And although it didn't happen immediately, they eventually died physically. Both deaths, physical and spiritual, came because they partook of the fruit, being set out of God's presence to come to earth in the fallen state, the telestial state. The fall of Adam was the fall from the presence of God to a lesser state or mortal state that we are born into. And again, relying on the wonderful truths in the Book of Mormon, if we go to Alma chapter 42, So Alma chapter 42 is when Alma is talking to his son, Corianton, and he's talking about the fall of Adam and Eve in our our time here on earth. So Alma chapter 42 is when Alma is talking to his son, Corianton. And in 42, he talks about Adam and Eve and about this very tree of life. So let's start in verse two and read verse five. It says, now behold, my son, I will explain this thing unto thee. For behold, after the Lord God sent our first parents forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence they were taken, yea, he drew out the man, 
and he placed at the east end of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the tree of life. Now we see that the man had become as God, knowing good and evil. And lest he should put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, the Lord God placed cherubim and the flaming sword that he should not partake of the fruit. And thus we see that there was a time granted unto man to repent, yea, a probationary time, a time to repent and serve God. For behold, if Adam had put forth his hand immediately and partaken of the tree of life, he would have lived forever, according to the word of God, having no space for repentance. Yea, and also the word of God would have been void, and the great plan of salvation would have been frustrated. But behold, it was appointed unto man to die. Therefore, they were cut off from the tree of life. They should be cut off from the face of the earth. And man became lost forever. Yea, they became a fallen man. And now you see by this that our first parents were cut off both temporally and spiritually from the presence of the Lord. And thus we see they became subjects to fall after their own will. Okay, that was more than I planned on reading, but it, it fits. So we, we see that journey, right? So they take of the preferred brute, they're cast out of the garden, cherubim and a flaming sword is put around the tree of life, and they're sent to earth, a probationary time to test themselves, to repent and to serve God and to eventually die. So what does this mean? We have to, in our journey of becoming like God, because that's the purpose of the plan of salvation. That's the purpose of coming to earth. That is the very purpose of the creation. When we see the vision that Abraham and Moses has, Moses is given the vision that these things were created for God to bring about his purpose of our eternal life and immortality. To reach that, we had to gain knowledge. To have eternal life, which is to live with God as God is, we have to have the same knowledge that he does. We have to know good and evil. That's why the tree is called the knowledge in good and evil. Because by partaking of it, or being born into the fallen world, we learn good from evil. That learning is an essential part of our time here on earth. But as the scriptures teach us, if in that fallen state, that unrepented, sinful, fallen state, if Adam would have partaken immediately of the tree of life, and it would have given him immortality, he would have been immortal without a chance to overcome his transgression of partaking of the forbidden fruit. And the, the works of God would have been frustrated because we would have been, never been able to receive eternal life if we immediately partook of the fruit of immortality in that fallen state. And so this life is given to us a chance to repent. The tree of life is protected. It is unreachable. But through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the atonement of Christ, we can make it to the tree of life and partake of it worthily and therefore receive eternal life. We are here on earth to choose the path to eternal life being the tree of life. So by being born, we are in this fallen, forbidden fruit, so to speak, state to learn and to repent and to serve God to eventually, through the grace of Jesus Christ, be able to take of the tree of life, which as of now is unreachable to us. The tree of life is essential to that. And so is the tree of knowledge and good and evil. We have to both learn good and evil to gain a body, to gain knowledge. We have to come to earth, but we also have to choose for ourselves the way to eternal life. Those are the two trees, both essential to our eternal progression. And that's why we're there, there to create opposition and to give us the gift of choice. All right. Let's talk about the last thing here, the Sabbath day, a blessed and sanctified day. So in Moses chapter three, let me get back there. Moses chapter three, verse three, Abraham chapter five, verse two and three, or Genesis chapter two and three. Let's go to Genesis. We've been reading about the pearl of great price a lot. So Genesis chapter two, verse two and three. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. 
and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. The Sabbath is a very, very special day. From the beginning of our mortal experience, the creation of the world, it was a day set apart for rest, a special day, because God chose to rest and by doing so, sanctified the day or set it apart from the rest. It's intended to be different. As God was working to create something beautiful for us in our mortal experience, our earth that we love and cherish, he made the Sabbath day holy and in turn asked us to keep it holy in reverence of him. So in Come Follow Me, there's this wonderful quote from Elder Bednar. The Sabbath is God's time, a sacred time specifically set apart for worshiping him and for receiving and remembering his great and precious promises. A special day. There's a lot to talk about the Sabbath, and I think that I'm going to save it because this episode has been long enough for when we get to the Ten Commandments, and we can talk about it more then. But I just want to share something special as we work on making the Sabbath day holy, sanctifying it. And it's a question that my dad always asked me. He used to drive me nuts when I was a kid. But I'm grateful for how he taught me now. He used to ask me on Sunday, on the Sabbath day, he would say, what are you going to do differently today to make it different than every other day? What am I going to do? What am I going to not do to make it different, to make it special and a delight? But also remember that it is a day of rest. We do a lot throughout the week. And as I read that scripture, the words rest stuck out to me. My wife, if she's listening to this, is probably happy to hear this. I do a lot of things, including this podcast. I have another one that I do. I have a job. I have my family. I have my physical body I'm trying to take care of. There's a lot and I go, 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 go. I'm kind of workaholic and I don't, she gets mad at me because she wants to lay down and relax and I'm like, I don't want to. I get restless. But resting is important. It is not me that man should run faster than he has strength. Remember that rest is a godly trait. I need to remember that. So I'm grateful for the scriptures to teach me that truth in addition to all the others that we had. If there's a particular truth that you feel a need to gain a stronger testimony of, be the understanding of your body as a temple and the wonderful gift that is, and to be able to respect and cherish and have the the confidence and self-worth in that body and in your value, to not follow into the traps of Satan to have you be insecure in those things. Maybe you need greater understanding of Heavenly Father's and Jesus Christ's ability to mold and morph and create you into something magnificent. Maybe it's an understanding with marriage and gender and the many onslaught of questions that we are being forced to confront in our day and age. Maybe it's a greater understanding of the Sabbath day and an increased testimony of that. The first thing that I would say is pray. The more you pray, the more you seek Heavenly Father's help in gaining a testimony of these things, the more successful you will be. Ask Heavenly Father for a testimony and work for it. Faith is a gift, but it isn't something that just randomly comes down. We have to live out where faith can be received and then ask for it. But I also want to read this quote from Harold Bealey, President Harold Bealey. All the principles and ordinances of the gospel are in a sense, but invitations to learning the gospel by the practice of its teachings. The more you practice these things, the more you will learn and the more blessings you will receive and the greater understanding you will have of these gifts and these principles. I bear testimony of them that they are true. I know they are. I'm grateful for scriptures restored and preserved from the time of Moses to the time of living prophets who continue to teach these truths from the proclamation to the family or general conference talks to solidify my understanding of the will of God and his plan for me and for all of us here on earth. 
I also bear testimony that love, charity is an essential part of the gospel of Jesus Christ and a commandment. And our commitment to that commandment needs to be as strong as others. As we work through the increasingly trying times of the latter days, I also bear testimony that it is through the atonement and gift and grace of Jesus Christ that we make it to the tree of life. By living his gospel, repenting as he asks, he will perfect us and allow us to receive a gift that otherwise would be unattainable. I'm also grateful for a chance to come to earth and receive a body and gain knowledge. I bear testimony of these truths in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Thank you for those of you who listened to the last one and shared it. If you're someone shared it with you, I'd appreciate if you could share it. Or if you're listening for the second time, please share this episode, this podcast with someone who you think could be, could benefit from it. There is a link in the description for a link tree, which is a really easy way to share it because it allows them to access it on whatever platform they choose to podcast and can sometimes be hard to share or just tell them to find focus on the light wherever they listen to podcasts. Thank you so much again for listening. And I guess I'll uh, talk to you next week.